If you have your Bibles, you can open with me to Genesis chapter 3, and you can pull out your outline. If you're watching at home right now, uh, outline is available at montgomeryfbc.org or on the the app uh, that we have, so you can follow along right there as we continue on where we were last week with Genesis chapter 3, and how did we get here? Looking at uh, this world that we live in and all of its difficulty and stress and strife that we experience and endure, how did we get to this place where we are today? Now, we'll pick up in about verse 6, but last week we, we left off with Adam and Eve having taken the bite of the fruit. We recognize that Adam and Eve enjoyed the, the Garden of Eden and all the, the beauty and the splendor, the connectedness, the joy of being together and having all of their needs satisfied, perfect communion between God and man, perfect communion between husband and wife, all their needs uh, in the garden there taken care of in this expansive garden. And here the serpent comes and whispers these half-truths and deceives Adam and Eve into taking and eating the fruit. So we pick up in verse 6, and we'll go into verse 7 for our first point. But let me read this, and let me pray, and then let's uh, dive in here together. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit, and she ate. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Let's pray. Dear Lord, would you lead us and guide us now? As as always, every time we come to your word, we pray that it would be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway, that we wouldn't learn more information about you, but your word would lead towards implementation into the world around us that we would leave this place differently than when we came in, more attuned to your will and to your word, ready to to just surrender ourselves to your calling in our life. So, Lord, we pray that you would lead us now through your word. It's in your name we pray. Amen. The first thing that you see on your outline, number one, is the emptiness of sin. The emptiness of sin. Last week we talked about the deceit of sin. And here we talk about the emptiness of sin that Eve looked at the tree. She saw that the fruit was good for food, that it was to make her wise, and she desired to eat of it. Uh, In this moment, the, the serpent was playing off her maybe discontentment to say, take and eat of this fruit that will give you, that will give you desire, that will give you uh wisdom, that will give you something that you perceive to be lacking in this moment. And so here, uh, the serpent plays upon the deception and the emptiness that would follow for sin to, to fall. Now, sin always, always overpromises and underdelivers. In every way, it overpromises what it can do and it underdelivers on what it should do or could do. Uh, I heard of a, a contest in a small little town, this big contest, that they were giving away a Toyota uh, to the winner of this contest. Now, I want to ask you that next week, if we were to have a contest at First Baptist Montgomery, if you came to church, if you entered into, you would be, uh, if you filled out one of the cards and turned it in, that you would be entered to win a brand new Toyota. Do you think that next week, the floodgates of the church may open up and people would be coming to every service from every demographic and every region across the river region, or probably across the state, people would be flocking to First Baptist to win this brand new Toyota? You feel it? You think so? Would you be here? All right, nobody's coming. All right, so uh, we have this wonderful opportunity where you could come in and win a free Toyota. Now, in this little city, this little town, 
big contest, and this woman wins this brand new Toyota. She's gone through a hard time, and so um, they have uh, set up this day for her to receive this Toyota. So she invites all of her friends, all of her family together to receive this grand prize. She's blindfolded in the midst of all of her friends and believing that in just a moment she's going to receive this incredible gift. And so they take her to this parking lot. They unfold this blindfold, and out she sees a brand new Toyota. And they give it to her as her grand prize. You've won this brand new Toyota. Now, how would you feel? How would you feel if you felt like you were about to win a brand new car, that so many of your problems were going to go away, transportation issues, a brand new Toyota, and someone gives you a Toyota? Now, I think she sued and won, but um, this is what she got. Imagine the deceitfulness the cunning, conniving that you would feel as you walked away holding this little doll rather than a large car that would meet so many of your different needs. Friends, in so many ways, this is the emptiness and the deceit of sin. Chronically over-promising. Promising you things that it cannot deliver on. In essence, sin so often would say, if you would do this, if you would take hold of this, if you would eat of this, then it would give you life, it would give you fullness, it would give you joy, it would give you happiness, it would give you peace, but it always leaves you wanting more, always leaves you emptier than when you started. See, the emptiness, the emptiness to over-promise and under-deliver. The serpent played upon Eve's perceived emptiness, you could say. In the garden, God had given her all things, All things were under their subjugation. All things were theirs. The fruit of the trees, all the expanses, all the animals, all was theirs. And here the serpent comes and says, what about, what about, what about that one? What about that one that you're not, what what would happen? What about that one? That discontentment in her heart to look upon all that God had given, but to say, what about the, what about that one? To sow the seeds of discontentment. This is why we look at Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, speaking about the contentment that we have in him, to walk through the difficult seasons, the joy-filled seasons, the hard seasons, the wonderful seasons with contentment in our heart, not looking for those other things to find satisfaction. The enemy always dangles these cords of bait in our pathway to say, take hold of this, like a good fisherman pulling the fish out to put good bait on the hook to say, this is the thing. Take hold of this hook. Take hold of this bait. Take hold of this thing and you will be satisfied. You will find peace. You will find contentment. You will find joy. Just take hold. Take and eat and you will find that which you are so desperately, so longing for. Pastor Johnny Hunt once said, sin thrills, then it kills. Sin fascinates and then assassinates. If you play, you will pay. You get burned every time. You see, number one, the simple emptiness of sin. And I tell you, there's so often that we, we attempt to enjoy and indulge in sin, thinking that it will satisfy and that it will bring comfort, that it will bring peace. But it's, it just it, it doesn't. So you come to the emptiness of sin, but you look and see that as they took and ate of the apple or they ate of the fruit, 
The eyes were opened and they knew that they were naked. The shame and the guilt began to come in. They knew they were naked and so they did what came natural to them and that they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves loincloths. In the moment where the recognition popped on and they began to see and feel the shame of their nakedness, they, they sewed fig leaves for themselves and began to cover them their shame and their nakedness, which would lead us to number two, the emptiness of sin, but also the divide in relationship. Their first response is to cover themselves with the fig leaves. And you go into verse 8. Let's read it together. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. And I, I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? You see the divide very plainly in relationship. Their first response is to cover themselves and then hide from the Lord. So all the way back in the Garden of Eden, you see the things that trace through to today's time. Just the other day, I was at the house, and I think I'd gotten on to Helen Ann and Micah for, for doing something. It seems like about an everyday kind of thing with a five-year-old and a three-year-old and a one-year-old. You're always getting on to them about something. But um, this particular day, I'd gotten a little bit upset with them for something they had done. And they went, and they ran down the hallway. And I could feel their little foot, or hear the little footsteps sliding down the hallway. And they get into their room, and they go and immediately climb under the bed sheets, believing that in a five-year-old's mind that they had found this magical fairyland where nobody could find them. You feel it. You remember as a kid, you, you'd run and you'd hide in the closet. You'd hide under a bed. You'd hide from your parents, believing that if they couldn't see you or if you couldn't see them, they couldn't see you, right? And there's this cloak of invincibility that came upon them as they tucked themselves under the covers. And I could hear them talking, saying, what do you think dad's mad? Do you think what's going to happen? What do you think? do you think? We really shouldn't have done that. You could hear them talking. I didn't hear the beep beep of the door open to know that they had gone outside. So I knew they were in the house. I knew exactly where they were. I knew that they were in the bed. I could see the little hump in the bed, knew exactly where they were. Yet they believed in their five-year-old, three-year-old minds that they could hide, that they could run away, they could hide. And even if you think that's just for five-year-olds, that it doesn't work its way up. Do you remember back in the day when you would miss curfew? Anybody? Did you, anybody miss curfew? You saints, y'all can go on out of here. Be blessed. Y'all never miss curfew. So I missed curfew a few times growing up and I would always open the door and try to slide in, try to make it up the steps without anybody hearing or noticing. All the while, I know that my mom never went to sleep until I got home and was in the bed. So I knew that she was awake, but I believed that I could just slide my way in and get up the stairs and not get in any trouble if nobody ever found out. We've been doing this for generation after generation. There's something in us from birth that just says we want to hide when we know we've messed up. And here in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, first response, cover themselves with fig leaves and hiding from the presence of the Lord. Remember Jonah did the same exact thing. As he had called to go to Nineveh, he fled the presence of the Lord and went down to Tarshish, hiding under the boat, believing that he is fleeing the presence of the Lord. But where can you go where the Lord is not? Where, where could you go? 
As ludicrous as it for me to walk down the hallway and know exactly where my kids were and are, I know where they are. I understand what they've done. They're, they're not hiding from me. They're not pulling anything over my eyes. They're not very deceptive little kids. They're five and three years old. I know what they're doing. And in some ways, we still feel like as believers that we can hide and that we can run and the Lord may not know. And you understand as well as I do that the Lord knows our thoughts. He knows everything that we have done. He knows every place that we have stumbled and fallen. He knows every ill word that we have spoken. He knows every intimate detail of our souls. He knows the words we've spoken to our husband or wife that were not kind. Maybe even the words that you spoke today on the way to church, the fighting that we have done. You know, as parents, the times that we've lashed out at our kids, the things that we've looked at that we ought not to have looked at, the places we've gone that we ought not to have gone, the things that we've done that we should not have done, the things that we didn't do that we should have done. The Lord knows it all. In that, at times there's that, that little bit of fear and anxiety knowing the Lord knows, he knows it all. I mean, I, I know that if I were to hook myself up to some big monitor here and you were able to get an insight into my soul from birth until my days today, if everything was exposed right up here on this board and you were to see the innermost soul of my being, of everything that I've ever done, I'd be ashamed to show my face here. Yet the Lord knows, the Lord knows Everything. And yet we get a verse like Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is why we as a church and churches across the land sing Amazing Grace, not because it's a good tune or because it's a good song, because Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, that even though God knows everything about us, he still, he still loves and he still paid the way for our sin on the cross. And so why then? would we continue to try to hide? Why would we continue to try to sow fig leaves to cover our shame and our embarrassment and our grief? Why would we still continue to try, like a kid, to hide from our parents, afraid of what he may do to us? So I would just speak for a moment to those of you in this room who for so long have been running and have been hiding. Whether it's a husband hiding from his wife different things that you have done or different things that you're embarrassed to talk about or a wife from a husband, either way. It's individuals, you're, you're hiding from the sin and the difficulty that you've experienced in your life and you're just putting up facades, fig leaves in front of you to say, I've got it all together, I'm okay. I, I, I know because I've talked to many of you that you are tired of running. You're weary of hiding. You're tired of hiding from your Bible fellowship class. You're tired of hiding from your leaders and your mentors, your wife or your husband, your kids, your grandparents. You're tired of hiding and putting a facade that you are all together. I tell you, as Jesus beckons you, he beckons you home. He tells us there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Not that you would say, oh, Lord, your grace is like a doormat that you just simply wipe your feet of it and say, I'm good to go. I can just live however I want to and just wipe my feet of the doormat of his grace. Not that we would live in such a way. But we recognize our tendency in our heart is to hide. 
D.L. Moody once said that the Bible keeps you from sin or sin keeps you from the Bible. Extrapolate that out, that sin would keep you from God's word, God's people, God's presence. Sin would keep you from all that or all those things would keep you from the sin. So if you are tired and weary of running, if you're tired of fleeing the presence of the Lord, friends, submit to his will and his leadership in your life that he loves and he cares for you. So number two, the dividing relationship. Number three, the shifting of responsibilities as well. In verses 12 and 13, you see that not only did Adam and Eve hide from the Lord, they also shifted the responsibility and blame from what they had done to others. You see verse 12 and 13, the man said, the, Lord, the woman whom you gave me to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So here they have sowing fig leaves, hiding from the Lord. And now Adam and Eve will begin to shift the blame. I mean, Adam doubles up on the shift, right? He doesn't just say the woman did this. He said, the woman that you gave me, Lord, that the woman that you put here, that you made for me, she did this. And so not only is Adam blaming the woman, he's blaming God saying, you did this to me by bringing her down here and doing all this stuff. And then Eve shifts the blame, not just to herself, but to the serpent. And we've been hiding from the Lord. We've been shifting blame against our sin for since the beginning. And I can tell you in my own life how easy it is to ascribe other people as a source of my problem. How easy it is to look at God's word and say, if, if they would just get this, if they would just understand and live and believe this, we would be in much better shape. How many times as a husband or wife, you said, if my wife would just listen to this verse and if she would just get it through her thick skull, then we would have a much better marriage. You've never said that. And so if my kids, if my wife, if my husband, if my coworkers, my boss, if he, would, if he would get this scripture, you know what, I'm gonna text it to him right now. And if he would just live it, then we would be a happier workspace. How easy it is to point out the fleck of dust five miles down the road in somebody else's eye than the planks in our own eyes. How easy it is to say, Lord, if, if everybody else would just get on board, but repentance is looking at yourself and saying, Lord, I have sinned against you. Lord, I, I have sinned against you, Lord. And so would you search me? Would you know me? Would you see if there's any grievous way in me, Lord? And it is, it is so easy to say, Lord, you've done this. You've made me like this. You've you put me here and you have caused me to stumble. Lord, you have done this or other people have caused me to stumble. But we take ownership of our sin as we go out and share the gospel with people as we'll do today. We start with the ABCs of salvation. The A is admit that we're a sinner. At some level as believers, we have to admit that, there, admit that we have sinned, admit that we are not perfect, admit that we are still struggling towards Christ-likeness. And know the tendency in us, even since Adam and Eve, to point the finger at other people, other people's issues. Shifting responsibility that will lead us to number four, the consequence of sin. If you look at your Bible, you see verses 14 through 19 deal with the, the consequences to the sins, the curse that we would be under. The serpent would crawl on its belly, cursed above all livestock, above all beasts in the field, and on the belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life, but enmity between you and the woman, the offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head, and he shall crush, uh, he shall bruise 
you shall bruise his heel and you shall crush his head. The woman, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And Adam said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain shall you eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face till you return to the ground for which you were taken out of. For you are dust and to dust shall you return. You go to number four, the consequence of sin. Friends, I, I wish, I wish today I could stand here pastorally and tell you that, that there is no consequence to sin. We live in a culture that is increasingly beginning to believe that there is little to no consequence to sin, that if it doesn't harm anybody else, that there is no consequence to it. Just live it up, believe it, do it, it's okay. I'm just going to tell you that there is consequence to sin. Now, praise be to the Lord that he has taken away the consequence of uh, the sting, the ultimate sting of death has been taken away through Jesus, but there is consequence to sin. I, I truly love going to the trampoline park. It's one of the best places to take the kids. We love going down and jumping and jumping and jumping and my ligaments and my body is not quite as up for it as it used to be, but it's one of our favorite places to go in good seasons. And I love just the trampoline portions where you have the big old trampolines and you have people jump at simultaneous times to get the most amount of height off the trampoline. You know what I'm talking about? Everybody still doing the trampoline parks? Man, y'all are all not missing curfew. You're staying inside. You're doing great. So uh, trampoline parks, the, the youth just jumping up and just enjoying being up. And there's, there's always that moment between halfway between going up and coming down where you're just up there almost floating. You know, when you're, just, you're bouncing, you're up and you're just floating up and you feel like if you're outside, you can see over the fence into your neighbor's house. You're, you're up so high. You can feel like you can see everything around you. There's just this, this beautifully glee-filled moment of being so high in the air, jumping on that trampoline. But you know, at some point, at some point, the natural law of gravity is gonna hit you. It's gonna hit you hard. The older you are, it seems to hit you harder than others. As you're up there floating above, at some point that natural law of gravity is going to hit you and you will come back down. At times sin, at times makes us feel like on the trampoline that we're just floating, that we're bouncing, we're above. There's no law. Everything is just good. We're just up here. We're enjoying it. It's so good. Everything is so good. But at some point, friends, sin has consequence. At some point, we will come down off of this, this high. At some point, we will stumble and fall. Bible talks about how long will you scoop hot coals into your lap and not get burned? How long do we expect sin to be in our lives and reign in our lives without there being any consequence for it? And so we, we thank the Lord. We praise the Lord for his abundant and his full grace. We, we live in it. We believe it. We sing about it. We talk about it. We, we rejoice in it. As I talked about earlier, we don't, we don't use God's grace to say, oh, here, I go into church. Let me wipe my feet on the doormat of God's grace and let me just go in because I'm all taken care of. Let me just sin abundantly because God's grace is abundant for me. So I'm just going to live in light of God's grace and just continue to wipe my feet on the doormat of grace and live however I would want. Friends, there are grave consequences when we sin and live unrepentantly in our sin. There's fracture in relationships, fracture in friendships, fracture in personal relationships, fracture in how we live in the world. There is consequence to our sin. And know how I wish I wish I could just stand here and say, friends, live it up. There's no consequence. There's, there's nothing here. Just live it up. But friends, there are consequences to our sin. 
in marriages that are fractured, in homes that are torn apart, in deception by the enemy that would cause us to do things that we thought could not be done. It leads to not just to end there. In the same way, the wages of sin is death, but there's a free gift of God that is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Number five, the sacrifice for sin. Verse 20, the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam for his wife garments of skin and he clothed them. The Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, lest he reach out his hands and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. Here, Adam and Eve began to sow fig leaves for themselves to cover themselves. But what most commentators would say in verse number 21 would be the first emergence of death in the Bible. That where Adam and Eve sowed fig leaves for themselves, they covered themselves with the plants of the tree. God saw fit to sacrifice an animal to cover and atone for their sins. Foreshadowing what Jesus would do many years later, coming to this earth and to take our our paltry coverings and to take and atone for our sins by dying on the cross, shedding his blood for our sins. So the good news of the gospel is that God did not leave us alone in our sins and our shortcomings. And yes, we have a longing to go back into that garden where there's the perfection of the Garden of Eden where everything is made right, where there's perfection of relationships, perfection of everything in the Garden of Eden. We long for that day. But we are so grateful that the sting of death has been taken by his sacrifice and atoning death on the cross. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, thank you for all that you have done. We come to you recognizing these words that you have written that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Lord, we live and we revel in the goodness of those words. That even though we were dead in our sins and trespasses, you have made us alive together with Christ. So Lord, I, I pray for those who are hiding and they are running and they are weary of running away from you. I pray for those who are are tired of trying to earn their own salvation, earn and cover their and atone for their own sins and shortcomings. I pray that we would rest and that we would have peace and take comfort in the joy of our salvation that you have won. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the goodness of who you are, what you have done and what you continue to do. And it's in your name we pray, amen. In just a moment, we're gonna sing hymn number 311, let Jesus come into your heart.